Good morning, and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Gart. This morning, we speak about one of the most interesting episodes in the entirety of the Torah. The Torah portion is entitled Korah, is one of only a few small number of Torah portions named after individuals. We have the story of Pinchas, we have the story of Moses's um, father-in-law Jethro, but of course we don't have a Torah portion named after Moses or Aaron or Miriam. We have none named after any of the patriarchs, although we do have a Torah portion called Chaye Sarah, the life of Sarah, that uh, begins with her death. But this week's Torah portion is entitled Korah, and it is an unusual episode. It begins in the book of Numbers, Bamidbar chapter 16, and continues through the end of Bamidbar chapter 18. Let me share with you a summary before we invite our guests to speak with us about it. Now, Korah, a Levite, along with two sons of Eliab, decided to rebel against Moses with the support of 250 community leaders. The Torah tells us that they rose up against Moses and Aaron, saying, You've gone too far. Why do you place yourself above us? When Moses heard this, he fell on his face, saying to Korach and his followers, Come morning, God will make known who God is and who is holy. Then Moses added, You have gone too far, sons of Levi. Is it not enough that God has made you the priesthood? You rebel against God. Moses sent for the two sons of Eliab, but they would not come, saying it was unfair that Moses lord over them and forced them to die wandering in the wilderness. Then Moses told Korach and his followers to make a priestly fire and give incense offerings to God. At the entrance to the tent of meeting, Hamishkan, Moses and Aaron gathered in front of all those rebelling and the rest of the community. Then the presence of God, according to the Torah, appeared to the entire assembly, and God said to Moses and Aaron, Stand back from these rebels that I may destroy them in an instant. And they fell upon their faces and said, O God, if one man sins, will you be angry with the whole community? God then had Moses say to the community, Get away from Korach and the sons of Eliab. Move away from these wicked men and touch nothing that belongs to them, lest you be wiped out for their sins. So the people moved away. And Moses said to the people, You know that it is God who sent me, and not my own doing. If these men die like all men normally do, then it was not God who sent me. But if the Lord creates a phenomenon so that the ground opens its mouth wide and swallows them and their property, then you will know that God, that these people have provoked God. 
and have not accepted God's omnipresent authority. When Moses finished speaking, the ground under Korach and the son of Eliab and their followers split, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them. Then a fire went out from God and consumed the 250 men of Korach's followers who were offering incense. The next day, the whole community railed against Moses and Aaron, saying, You two have brought death upon the Lord's people. Once again, God appeared and said to Moses and Aaron, Remove yourselves from these people, so that I may annihilate them in an instant. The people fell on their faces with a plague sent by God. And Moses immediately sent Aaron to perform an incense ritual of atonement. The plague was checked, even though over 14,000 died because of the Korah rebellion. Then God had Moses get each of the chieftains of the 12 tribes to inscribe a staff. The finished rods were then placed before God at the tent of the meeting, in front of the Ten Commandments. And the staff of the man whom I have chosen shall sprout, meaning they, the person whose leadership I anoint, and God's and Aaron's rod did sprout with blossoms and almonds. Then God told Moses to leave Aaron's rod in front of the Ten Commandments as a sign for any who might rebel. The Torah portion then ends with God saying to Aaron, you and your son shall be the priesthood, you shall take charge of the altar. And it continues to describe that which the priesthood will be responsible for and that which will be offered as a tithing and donation for their work in the sanctuary. The rebellion of Korach is one of the most interesting uh, stories in the entirety of the Torah. And with me this morning to discuss it, is Rabbi Emeritus of Congregation Beth Chaim in Princeton Junction, Rabbi Eric Wisnia. Rabbi Wisnia um, served as Rabbi of Beth Chaim for 42 years before his retirement, and it's a pleasure to have him with us today. Rabbi Wisnia, welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Thank you, Rabbi Garten. It's a pleasure to be back with you and your, uh, your listeners. Well, this week we have a very unusual episode in the Torah to discuss. I've introduced it uh, to our listeners, the story of Korah. But I know that you have an unusual and unique way that you want to uh, talk about it and offer some insights. So I welcome you to share with our listeners your insights. Well, thank you. Um, yes, I, I love the portion uh, called the Korach, and um, I think it's a powerful one. But, uh, you know, I, I think we need to, uh, first of all, understand Korach. You know, um, I didn't understand him until I heard one of our colleagues Rabbi Phil Bregman, who uh, was the uh, rabbi out in Vancouver for many years. Phil uh, was uh, singing once, and he picked up a guitar, and he sang a version of Old MacDonald. And I said, okay, is that Jewish? He said, sure, listen. Old MacDonald had a farm, E-I-E-I-O, 
And on this farm, he had a kvetch, E-I-E-I-O. And the kvetch said, I don't want to go here. I don't want to go there. I don't want to do anything. I'm not having fun. Why aren't you letting me have fun? And I giggled. But it's always stayed with me. And I never really understood the meaning of the Yiddish word kvetch until I read the portion of Korach. Because that's what Korach is. He is a kvetch. For our he listeners, is a- kvetch is Yiddish. Uh, and Rabbi Wisney is going to explain his understanding of uh, the term. Right. My understanding is that a kvetch is someone who complains, but doesn't really ha- offer any solutions, and doesn't really have much to, uh, to, to uh, complain about, but complains anyway. You know, Mark Twain, who uh, one of the great American authors, he said, everyone complains about the weather, but nobody does a thing about it. And I think that's pretty much what Korach does. He complains, but he does nothing about it. And well, that isn't it, but isn't his complaining doing something? Unlike the weather well, in which we have no control over, um, or we don't think we have control, um, Korach um, wants to ask Moses um, why he, he, Korach, and his family have been let, left out. And isn't the implication of the story that they should be brought in for the leadership? No, I don't think so, Steve. I think, in fact, I, I look at it that Korach is a catch. His complaint sounds so reasonable. All the people of Israel are holy. Why is it you just get to talk to God face to face, Moses? All the people are righteous. How come you're making your living out of being the boss and bossing us around? And he runs around to all the Israelites saying that. He's saying, behind Moses' back, that we're all equal. How come Moses is closer with God? Moses is making money off all this. He he badmouths Moses and Aaron, and he doesn't really want to do anything about it. He wants to usurp power from Moses and Aaron, and that's what I think makes him a catch because his complaint is insidious. But he's not going to really do anything about it except undermine Moses. And you don't see this as him wanting to democratize the leadership of the Israelites. Because he does say, aren't we all holy people? I'm right. in, fact, in fact, that's, what I, uh, that's part of his insidious complaint. It sounds so reasonable. It sounds reasonable, but Aaron answers him. Aaron defends Moses and says, what are you talking about? God himself has chosen Moses. God picked Moses because he's so good and because God needs him. And Moses, you think he's making money off of this? You think he's making, uh, this is making him happy? This job is killing him. He can't be with his family. He can't do anything. He's got to take care of the Jewish people all the time. So I see it exactly as the complaint by, against uh, the weather by Mark Twain. 
sure. Nobody's happy. It's hot outside. Oh, are we there yet? You know, things are wrong. I can point out exactly what's wrong. The question is, what am I doing to make it better? And Korach is doing nothing. What he's doing is leading a rebellion to stab Moses in the back. Aaron sees this, and Aaron calls him out. And Moses, Aaron says, Moses, what has he done to you? Leave the poor guy alone. Support him. But that's not what Korach does. Korach's insurrection is not to democratize Israel, although that is what he says. He makes it sound very plausible. Everybody's dying of the heat. Where's the water, Moses? Instead of bringing water, what he's doing is complaining about Moses. Yes, it sounds wonderful, and he's right. All of Israel is an Am Kadosh. All of Israel is holy. All of Israel has an option to speak face-to-face with God. The question is, do they? Do they take up that mantle? No. They complain about the weather, too, and do nothing about it. They complain about the journey, but do nothing about it. So you've alluded to one of the primary themes of the book of Numbers. And that is the complaining, or as you reminded our listeners, the fetching of the Israelites. Uh, They complained, um, a few weeks ago, they complained that they had wonderful food in Egypt. We had fruits and vegetables, we had fish, (laughs) we had meat. Uh, Who would remember that we were slaves, but our, uh, you know, cuisine was first rate. Uh, and throughout the right, my favorite, my favorite complaint, uh, Rabbi Garten, is the one where they say to him, Moses, weren't there enough graves in Egypt? You yeah. have to bring us out to the desert and kill us here. Uh, so the book is chock full of these complaints. So from how do you teach? What is the necessity on the part of the biblical author to make the Israelites appear to be a, an entire nation of kvetches. Because uh, in, in that description, and as you described Korach, the rest of the people fit the bill. Yes, they do. And, and they kind of agree with Korach. You know, they don't want to say it because they're afraid of Moses and they don't want to rebel against God, but they all kind of say it too. And, and it sounds so plausible. Every person is holy. We're all made in the image of God. Why does Moses think he's better? Well, the story makes clear that Moses doesn't think he's better. The story makes quite clear that Moses is not getting rich off at his job. In fact, it's costing him time, money, and effort, and family. And he's pulling his hair. Whatever hair he had, he was pulling out because the Jews are not appreciative. But I think it really comes down, and the point of the whole story is that it's much easier to curse the dark than it is to light one candle. And I think that's really important. It's so much easier to curse the dark than it is to light one candle. And that's what Korach does. He leads a rebellion of people who want to curse the dark. He does not come to Moses 
and say, hey, Mo, you know, if you'd appoint 50 judges to help you with the load of judging the people, maybe that would help. He doesn't come to Moses and say, you know, who's organizing the uh, sacrifices in the tent this week? He doesn't come with any suggestions. He comes to catch about the weather and do nothing about it. So the Torah seems to be offering Korah and his followers, 250 men um, who supposedly gather uh, with him and the sons of Eldad. Uh, and right, right. So has, we're also priests. Right. So we have all these followers, and the Torah seems to be um, suggesting to readers that that God requires some sort of um, leadership class as an intermediary. Is that the way you read this? Because at the end of the parasha, God confirms the unique uh, genetic status, lineage, of the tribe of Levi through Aaron. So it's not all of the tribe of Levi. I mean, I think that's right. one of the stories here, that Korah is a member of the tribe of Levi. Of which right, there are Levi and expects Levi. all the Levites. He expects right. all the Levites to have the the yichus, the status of, of Aaron. And the, the 250 Reubenites, Reuben was the oldest tribe. You know, they were, uh, they were the firstborn. So why aren't they the leaders? These are people who have a grudge. I don't think it's so much um, that uh, it, it's in your blood and that makes you a leader. It is the fact that Moses and Aaron are chosen, but they do something they don't curse the dark, they light a candle. Moses does the work of leading the people. Aaron does the work of making the sacrifices. They don't complain to everyone and say, oh, look how hard I work, why aren't you people more appreciative? They're the ones who roll up their sleeves and do it. Whereas I think Korach and his group, they use their mouth to complain and what is their punishment? The Bible, in perfect, perfect uh, irony, says the mouth of the earth opened up and swallowed them. He who lives by the kvetch dies by the kvetch. Um, he who uses his mouth to complain, the mouth of the earth opens up and swallows him. So I'm wondering if there isn't also a notion as you... Um, offer your interpretation of the Torah suggesting that Korah and his followers not only offer uh, no usable suggestions, but they see the world through narcissistic eyes. That they only wow. see the world through the eyes of what does it do for me? Um, and yes. the notion of Aaron and Moses is that they are in some way uh, self-effacing and see the world through the eyes of the Israelites and God. That's, that's a wonderful uh, point you're making, and I, I believe that's true, that Moses and Aaron are not in it for their own glory. 
They were tapped by God. Circumstance made them who they are. And they rolled up their sleeves and went to work. Korach and the, the, uh, the Levites and the uh, Reubenites and, uh, and the uh, other children uh, of Levi who are complaining, these are um, the ones who are not doing anything, but they're resentful. They're resentful that life has been good to you and God has chosen you, but, uh, and I'm not getting the yichis I deserve. I'm not getting the respect I deserve. I'm not getting the prestige I deserve. Everybody should be looking at me and saying, wow, you're just as good as Moses. It sounds and nice and, to all of it's not just you're not getting the prestige and you're not getting the glory, mm-hmm. but in a sense, Korah is acknowledging that the people need leadership. Um, he's not denying that, but he's saying that leadership, um, as he presents himself, is uh, somewhat at odds with the fact of what leadership will constitute as the Israelites march to the promised land. That the Torah seems to have told us the story, as you suggested, that Moses and Aaron are selected by God. It's not a matter of their uh, uh, qualification. Putting themselves forward, right. Right? They're not putting themselves themselves forward. forward. Hey, God, Moses um, suggests on numerous occasions he doesn't want this great honor. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, Thank you, God. Pick someone else. That's right. Um, And Aaron is faced with um, numerous challenges um, at the Golden Calf episode and in other episodes in which one could suggest he's totally ambivalent about his uh, role as leader. He may have been um, feeling better about simply being the mouthpiece for Moses uh, when they speak to Pharaoh. Um, And so I'm leading you, and I'm wondering how any of these lessons might apply to our experience uh, of the last few months, that we in North America, as in the world, have experienced uh, the pandemic, and there are issues of the pandemic with relationship to how do we understand our connection to a broader community. Um, Do you see in this uh, episode any lessons that we can take as we enter into what uh, health uh, officials in both the United States and Canada and throughout the world call the second and third stages? Well, again, I would point out that it's a question of uh, not just uh, cursing the pandemic, but uh, wearing a mask, or uh, not just cursing the dark, lighting a candle. In other words, the question is, what can you as an individual do? And more than that, when you as an individual take an action, doesn't that demonstrate to others you're a model, you're a guide? When someone says, no, I will not wear a mask out in public, uh, they're, they're modeling certain uh, behavior 
and saying certain things that, well, I don't care about anyone else. You know, I'll take my chances, but if, if you get sick, too bad. By right, saying, because well, masking I, is not so much about you, it's about others. Right. I'm not going to get you sick, um, but it's an inconvenience for me. I don't like it. So it's, again, what's in it for me? What have I gotten out of it? And, and you know, I, I think it's actually a very uh, good, um, a good comparison you're making, Rabbi, because it, it's true that this is difficult. Staying inside is difficult. Whatever we're all doing, uh, you know, uh, the, to, to deal with this pandemic is very difficult for us. Uh, some people are giving up their jobs. Some people are not going to school. Some people are not going to visit the grandchildren. Some people are not doing everything. And the question is, how do you deal with that? Do you say, do you, say, do you catch? And do you say, oh, it's terrible? Um, I, I saw some of the, uh, the governors of our states being um, protested against and demonstrated against as if they were personally trying to curtail the rights of some of their citizens. And uh, again, I saw that as the complaint of Korach. You know, we're cursing the dark. We're complaining against the, about the bad weather. Well, everybody has a right. Yes, it is bad weather. We have to stay inside. We can't do what we want. We can't go to the beach. We can't uh, go to the restaurants. We can't do half the things we want to do. But why? Not because it makes someone else happy, but might make someone else safe. I mean, it, it strikes me that throughout the book of Numbers, there's this um, exploration of what does it mean to be a community. And mm -hmm. communities are made up of uh, many types uh, of individuals. Um, there's the self-serving individual, um, there's the um, individual who's willing to work hard for the uh, well-being of the community, and there's everything in between. Um, the Torah seems to tell us that the Israelites will best be served on their journey to the Promised Land, and one could see the Promised Land in many metaphoric ways, uh, not only as the land, but uh, who they are as a people. Right, uh, right. And, you know, this episode is um, repeated in the story of the 12 tribes in the 12 tribes. Over and over, as you pointed out. Right? Um, that what will make a community uh, better able to handle challenges? And I like, you, I like um, the way you're looking at the, the, the whole book and, uh, as that point, yes. And so you suggest, you know, in the United States, but I'm sure elsewhere, that there are people who think that the um, calls by health officials and politicians um, to act in ways that they see as for the safety and protection of the society are, are perceived by some individuals as a denial of their personal right. Um, right. And I guess part of the social contract and part of the covenant with God is that we feed some of our personal uh, rights for the betterment of the community.
I think that's an excellent point, and I think that's really the point that the book makes, uh, the Book of Numbers and Torah makes so clearly, is that we have to look at the community. We can't look at it just as an individual, and that it deals with us as the tribes of Israel, the people of Israel, uh, and, uh, you know, whether Moses is the leader or Korach is the leader, uh, God will make that decision, and uh, the rest of us have to try and help, not hinder, not complain, but do what we can to help. And it doesn't in, seem that as, as you're well aware, in Jewish tradition, all of our prayers are expressed in the plural. Yes, we pray for the community. We pray. That's one of the reasons why we they that we are forced commanded to pray in a in a minion of ten. It's right. very hard when you're sitting next to nine other people to say, hey, God, take care of me and screw the world. You know, you know when you realize there's not other people in the room saying, God, help me too, then maybe it'll soften you a little bit and you'll say, okay, God, be nice to the rest of the people too. Well, Rabbi Eric Wisnia of Princeton Junction, New Jersey, I want to thank you for joining with me and my audience to discuss this wonderful and challenging parasha for Jewish faith and Jewish facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. You can hear a podcast of this week's show on iTunes or on the chri.ca website. For Jewish faith and Jewish facts, I wish you shalom and have a good day. <laughs>